Hey folks, it's Brian. Vince and Zach had to record the show without me this week, but at the end of the show, you will hear me talk with James Titan IV about Justice League number 12, so stay tuned for that, and I'll be back next week. Bye! of us this is gonna be a bad episode uh i'm zach uh one of your uh lovely hosts of the dc3 cast and i'm joined by vince yep i'm here you're here brian's not here though yep but he didn't die this time i want to make it perfectly clear he's not dead neither is anyone in his family he's still alive he's going to live forever um he's gonna see, he, be seated at the right hand of poseidon um at least until he reads he, he listens to this episode and edits it and realizes he can never let us do anything again <laughs> um we're here to talk about the uh dc comics that released on 21st of november that is correct uh, yeah, so 21st of November, right before we all got sick from eating turkey and all that good stuff. Um, it would have been a really funny bit if you would have read the wrong week of comics again, Zach. <laughs> and then it was only me hosting this miserable show. Uh, that has happened too much. Um, I mean, I guess it wasn't too far off, all things considered, based on what I talked to you about before, <laughs> before we recorded. Um yeah, the the books this week weren't that great. <laughs> no, this is a pretty grim week. Um, I feel like we're not going to have a ton to say. It's probably going to be a short show, probably for the best. We're probably going to lose 100 dedicated listeners between this episode and subsequent ones. So for that, we must apologize to Brian. Um, but uh, nothing we can do about that. That's, that's nothing the, we that's can DC's do. It's fault. It's not up to us. Yeah. It's not up to us to put out the good books. Um, if it were, they would all be good. <laughs> hire us, DC. Hire, hire us. But um, I guess we'll, we'll start off um, because the first book is both first in terms of quality and alphabetical order. Um, it's the good book. It is American Carnage. Uh, written by Brian Hill, illustrated by Leandro Fernandez. And uh, this is a book that we've been looking forward to for a while. Uh, Brian reviewed it. Um, yeah, he reviewed it like way in advance. Yeah, yeah. He, he it's like a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and got some heat for it on the internet because, wow, big surprise. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Because we're living um, in such a healthy climate. Yes. I guess we should probably say, before before we talk about this comic, um, there's no way to talk about this comic without getting political. So anybody who 
doesn't like that or 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 would prefer not to hear that skip ahead i don't know 15 20 minutes to when we start talking about the bad comics this week uh-huh. there's there's no way around it with this comic not that we would try to dance around it if we could but uh you know we're gonna we're gonna do what we do on this show but but this comic invites it there's no way to talk about it without talking about current events politics racial stuff all that all that good stuff that uh that a lot of people get really mad about <laughs> mm-hmm. and that and that a lot of these new vertigo books are kind of dabbling in not yeah. even so much dabbling in is just like going all in um which i really i really like but definitely i think you know um it's easy it would be easy for for dc or marvel i feel like dc especially with rebirth well the books are really quality they're mostly playing it safe. I guess the the exception to that would be the Heroes in Crisis stuff. But for the most part, Rebirth was about playing it safe and being, you know, mostly fan-friendly to every type of fan, right? Mm-hmm. There was I stuff... mean, it, and, until they let uh, Tomasi do that uh, Superman arc, you know? <laughs> well, yeah, that... That wasn't for me, but that was for somebody, and it was still very like. It was. It was. I think it was still playing it safe. Like I don't think yeah, they were gonna. It definitely was. It yeah. I, I can't. Of that. I, yeah. I keep. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But uh, uh, it would be easy, I think, for DC. You know, even though it's Vertigo, even though it's a separate sort of publishing, um, it's a, it's a different vertical slice of their publishing house, right? Uh, it would be easy for them to play it a little safer, I think, and they're just not. And I, I really appreciate that, you know. Um, I think it, it would be super easy to just publish a bunch of fairly generic crime books, or like try to skew, try to skew towards like the noir slash sci-fi type stuff that Image does in general. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of what they've done in, in the past, really. Yeah, right. Yes. Yeah. And I feel like Image is... I guess there's some stuff that Alish Cott is doing that's a little bit, you know, overtly political over there. But I don't think... When I think of, Vert- or when I think of Image, I don't think of, like, political comics. But I'm almost... When I think of Vertigo right now, I'm thinking, you know, sociopolitical comics. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And that's not, I don't think that's a bad thing. And if you don't like it, that you don't have to read Vertigo. But I, I appreciate that they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It is like, a, it's a good niche for Vertigo to to inhabit, I think. Um, and let, I mean, this goes all in from the first page. Uh, we've got a baby covered up in a in a swastika blanket. What could that mean? Um, the baby's a real free thinker, Vince. I don't know. Well, yeah, and that okay. This is this kind of touches on something that we've uh, <laughs> yeah, free speech. Um, <laughs> this kind of touches on something that we've we've uh, talked about with Border Town a little. In that these overtly political books, it's not that they're subtle because you 
you know, wrapping a baby in in a in a swastika swaddle or whatever is as unsubtle as you can get, right? Mm-hmm. But our present climate, our country, is not exactly subtle. You know, whether you agree with it or not, it's you. I think we can all agree it's not subtle. There's there was some uh, uh, university where some students got in trouble or something for throwing up. Um, Nazi salutes or something. Yeah, I, I think know. it was a it was a high school. Oh, it was I a think. high school. Okay, yeah. And, I, I and the yeah. yeah, supposedly the story is that they were supposed to be waving to their parents in the photo, which could I mean it could be the case. Who knows? But it but yeah, be. that happened. But but that's just one example of a lot of things that have had you know, and the. The defense is usually, oh, I'm doing it ironically, or I was just a joke. I don't really, obviously, I don't really believe this, or, like, I'm just doing it as a free speech. Th- like, there's a variety of reasons why we've seen that. Mm-hmm. The, the point is, though, that you don't have to look far to see that stuff anymore. Yeah. And, and that that's reflected in these comics. Yeah, it's not subtle, but neither, neither is the world we're living in. We're bombarded every day online by like imagery that <laughs> t- taunts and horrifies our sensibilities. So. Yeah. Um, also, speaking of not subtle, maybe maybe you can call me on this, but doesn't that guy in the middle panel look like Rorschach? Oh yeah, absolutely. I I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like yes, yep, absolutely. That has to be a reference. Um, I would think that they're going for, but I think it's funny how many times somebody who looks like Rorschach, like the, like, um, the Kovac, the Kovacs, like human version of Rorschach, the, the right, unmasked, right. It's funny how often they're like similar looking characters and, and that look that like redheaded freckled look like designates them as the bad guy. Right. I feel like these are not the only comics that that's happened in, you know, sure. Surely not. Yeah. And not um, just but... Cletus Cassidy either, you know, like, yeah, that's another one. Yeah. It's just like, it's so funny. I, I opened that book and I was like, that is Walter Kovacs right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's funny. But I guess like, I don't know. What do you, do you want to just like talk a little bit about what this book is about? Yeah, sure. So, um, essentially, you know, forgive me if I get any of the details wrong, but essentially there's a, there's an FBI agent who's looking into, um, some, uh, a, a murder that happened, right? Um, yes. And in, in particular, a, a very specific murder, a a lynching yes a lynching of a different cop or like fbi agent right or something like that yes yeah and so so the fbi agent who's investigating goes to this undercover uh uh i believe that they're they're half black right yes so they can pass as as white mm-hmm. um and and this is an interesting thing like not to derail us like talking about the story but i bringing that up like i thought it was very interesting the way he was drawn compared to the other characters yeah like 
I guess that's that's an interesting thing about like an artistic medium, but like he he I don't know, like he You wouldn't I I mean he's drawn to pass that way in the comic medium as well. Right, right, but it, it it's just I don't I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing I think to to consciously be drawing a character to live in that space. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess the only other character that I can really think of that lives there is like Miles Morales who uh-huh. whose character is like very defined in being a biracial character. Um Yep. But even that gets like because it's a a franchise where many different artists are drawing him, he, I I feel like with Miles, sometimes they nail it, and other times, other times you can just tell like ah well we're just going one way or the other. That's <laughs> a know? good that's a good point. Yeah, I guess I was thinking specifically like when Bendis was in control of that and and had more like creative mm-hmm. control on that. That's a good point. But yeah, yeah, uh, con- continue on. Oh yeah. So then so. So basically, they 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 hire this guy to infiltrate, um, because the the FBI uh, lady thinks that there is some connection between, um, this killing, this lynching, and this liberta- libertarian author slash pundit slash TV personality, mm-hmm. um who you find out later kind of like preys on on disenfranchised communities and and black communities to sell his brand of like the essence of America is what the book is called which I'll I'll get into that a little more later but but it's very it's this very like wholesome pick yourself up by your bootstraps version of of America that these types of guys try to sell right and and the FBI thinks that there's something at least this agent thinks that there's a greater connection here between this lynching and and this figure and the the white passing guy is going to go in and uh infiltrate the circle the inner circle there of the of whatever white supremacy thing is going on um and that's pretty much it that's that's the basic premise of this book right um, um yeah and there there are a few other wrinkles in there here and there um particularly like with the the like philanthropist the philanthropist um guy's daughter yes who again like a, not trying to get like overly like political or like making everything allegory for current events but was like very ivanka trump-esque <laughs> i mean do you think that's fair yeah yes i i have a different comparison that i kind of want to make but um but yes i think yours is yours is spot on you know visually and especially what kind of role you know if you're the type of person that that um is on the left leaning side of things you've seen ivanka and and to a lesser extent jared used as like a sort of a float over to the other side to say like, Hey, these are human beings too. Right. <laughs> you know, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it only works on a certain type of like centrist person, <laughs> but, but, but yes, yes. I think, I think you're spot on there. 
Um, yeah, that is interesting. There's a lot of that because what do they say early on in the book? The FBI agent who's lynched is not not black either, right? They, right. Yeah. And so that's an interesting wrinkle um, as far as what you would think that these people's motives are or whatever. Um, and then you've got the 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 white passing undercover guy who says says he says things like you know they could just be nice people that you don't agree with or whatever you know which was the one the one time in this issue where i felt like the character was maybe purposely being written as naive mm -hmm. to say that because i imagine you know not not that there aren't uh nice conservative people i don't want to like I obviously there are, but when you're, when you're an over, undercover guy who's seen shit like this guy probably has, I feel like the, the, you know, the idea that, that your colleague here is, who is suggesting this to you with obviously with some kind of lead, I feel like you'd be a big, you'd be a skeptic along with that too, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I felt yeah. like the, just the way that it was not that you would go in assuming guilt, but like, just the way it was written was like, ah, that kind of sounds naive on the part of that guy. But that's like my one quibble with this. Cause otherwise I think Brian Hill did like an amazing job of keeping everything, um, complex. Like, like nobody here is, is cartoonish. I don't think, um, it's another one of those books where there is a clear, I think there's a, there's a clear bad guy intended or a clear bad side of things. But there, mm -hmm. but there is some complexity to it, you know. Yeah, um, like you were talking about with the daughter. Can I, can I, can I say my bit about the the daughter and like? Yeah, please person? do. Okay, so what I thought of with the daughter because so the undercover guy says a racial slur in front of her, and, uh -huh. and she's taken aback. She doesn't like that. Um, and I think he he says it kind of as a not only to strengthen you know his act as somebody who is intending to be a white supremacist but also maybe to feel her out a little bit too yeah it was definitely like testing the water yeah yeah and her reaction reminds me and again like you can you can say i'm right or wrong or you can disagree with my take on it but there there are conservative voices out there in the media you see them on twitter I could name names, a certain guy who's five foot three, if I'm being <laughs> generous, who uh, presents themselves as, you know, oh, I'm not, I'm not racist and I'm okay with, uh, you know, different sexual orientations, all this stuff, you know, oh, I would never say those words, but then their behavior or the policies they support or their idea of hierarchy yeah, they may not be overtly racist or, or vulgar in that way, but they support this hierarchy where those social aspects of politics immediately take a backseat to whatever, you know, means to an end they're trying to get to. Mm -hmm. and, and that, to me, based on the first issue alone, felt a lot like this, well, okay, so... She's not comfortable being overtly racist, but she's got no problem working for her dad in this weird white supremacist militia barbecue that she ends up at, <laughs> or that, yeah. that he ends up at, you know? And, and so it reminded me of, like, the the modern 
picture of the conservative pundit online who tries to tell that lie by like, clearly we're at a place in America where it's unacceptable to, it's now unacceptable to actually say the words, you know? Mm -hmm. So instead, you know, we just have to, we have to denounce that, but go along with these policies or whatever, you know? Right. Um, Yeah. So that's That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I, I don't want to be like overly generous there, but I, I, that is like an interesting, just like fact about like humans and they like hold contradictory ideas and beliefs, you know, at, at the same time, like, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and you see that here in, I feel like with many of the characters, you know, you see that with the, um, I guess we should get these characters' names down. <laughs> I don't want to have to just like say the white passing cop. Um, yeah, I just I'm saying that because I didn't. I literally didn't in my yeah. copious notes here. I didn't write his name. Down. <laughs> his name's Rick. Okay. Um, and then the other cop is she. No, yeah, <laughs> Sheila. Sheila is the other cop. Yes. Um, like Rick is an interesting character because he. He he clearly like does probably hold some conflicting conflicting beliefs. He like pro- if, if probably feels like very. He he seems like he's a character who's on really shaky ground because he he maybe either like doesn't have strong beliefs or has never like had to uh, assert his any kind of his beliefs in like certain situations. It's interesting that he is a. I don't think we mentioned he is like ex-FBI working as a private investigator now because he um, shot a, like, young black man on um, justly, unjustly, yeah, um, and is now kind of, like, living with that, which is kind of another, like, you mentioned the, the, like, lynching of the white man earlier at the beginning of the issue, and here you have this mixed-race police officer or FBI agent who... Um, you have that aspect of the story playing out, you know, the young black man who was murdered by the cop, but it has again, that like interesting wrinkle to it. It's, it's just all very complicated. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not equipped to talk about it in any real meaningful way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, and that's another thing, like, obviously, obviously things are not black and white. I know like sometimes online or when we talk about these comics sometimes we maybe present it that way but i think Mm -hmm. like you know i i i save my my outrage for the for the people who have power and they hold this this sway over you know certain political leanings in america you know what i mean kind of like like moving on to the to the the win win morgan like the he's he's like the horse-faced mitt romney looking uh uh guy, writer who wrote this essence of america book you know it just it's it's the people like that where like there there are well-meaning conservative people and then they and then you have these uh you know writers and pundits who are trying to get 
this agenda across and they're trying to slip it into this idea of what America should be or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's always couched in this weird, I think of like Mike Huckabee who has a book. Uh, he's got a book called something like guns, guns, grits and gravy or something like that. Yeah. Like it's just that simple. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and it's just this real cheesy kind of grievance based, uh, version of America when like, it's it's a lot more complicated than that, and and I think that some of the things that you're saying, uh, and some of the things that this book presents, um, makes that makes that pretty clear. You know, uh, mm-hmm. some of those contradictions you're you're talking about as far as you know, the the expectations of the of who ends up shooting someone, right? Right. Yeah. Of who ends up getting lynched? You know. Um, it's it's probably what the book does better than anything is is present all these things um in a way that you haven't quite seen before yeah yeah that's a good point and you know something i really hope out of like particularly this book and border town and even like to a degree like hex wives which is maybe going to touch on like issues of we're probably definitely going to touch on like issues of feminism and things like that is maybe maybe through books like these like this is no it's like the obvious statement of the year that the the comic fandom is like very very divided on these kinds of issues and not very willing to listen to opposing viewpoints and like i really hope that like through these books I, a, I hope that people will like give them a chance and read them and then be like, be it have these like ideas, like humanized a bit more through the characters in the story, rather than just seeing this as political rhetoric filtered through characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully just like in, learn like the important, like learn why people care about these matters, like why people care to write books like this. Um, and ho- I just hope that people see this as like not just spreading a, a particular agenda, but as like trying to ex- like trying to make people understand why this matters. Yeah. Yeah, that's well said. Um, I think that's probably a good place to end, although I just want to piggyback what what you just said. Have you did you see any of the kind of writing or tweeting that Brian Hill did about his work on this? No, I didn't. He, I, I don't, I won't say anything specific because I don't want to misquote him or or say the wrong thing or whatever. But if you go to his his Twitter account, I think you have to go back. Uh, it's probably been more than a week by this point. But he talked about you know the 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 thinking and the methodology and the research behind making this comic, or at least this first issue, I think. Um, and it's really fascinating and, and deep diving stuff. And I can't imagine anybody who doesn't, you know, whether you agree or not with with the direction things are going or whatever, I can't imagine somebody listening to him talk about it and dismissing it as like, ah, SJW trash, you know what I mean, <laughs> or whatever. Like, j- just listening how pa- to how passionate he is about this and how well-researched it is. Because, like... Um, 
it would be it would be easy to not research this because because there's been enough of um, there's been enough events similar to this or, or that 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 hit this same sort of socio-political climate uh -huh. um, but I appreciate how much research he did into into getting the details right of how something like this might go um, and I think as we read the book further I think that's going to be even more strengthened because I feel like he's probably going to draw on through the undercover excuse me through the undercover agent stuff is going to draw upon like the the real things that one would find going undercover in a situation like this uh from people who have done it before because we've had people that have infiltrated white supremacist havens you know yeah yeah did you um did you see black Klansman when it was in theaters recently not yet but i that's that's on the list it it it's weird um you know you sometimes have this kind of like weird um coincidence of like similar properties coming out around the same time which of course <laughs> that was like a book that existed already this is um, the uh twister and <laughs> <laughs> whatever that other one was yeah bugs life and ants yeah <laughs> yep. um, nailed it um but no yeah it deals with very similar ideas um very very good film i thought at least i i enjoyed it greatly um so yeah i'll have to check that out yeah um but okay well um i guess we are good to move on yeah yeah i think so Okay. Um, well, up next, we're going to do our kind of um, – we've been pairing these books up a bit recently um, just because they've been connected through Drowned Earth. But we're going to talk about Aquaman 42 and Justice League number 12 um, to tie in slash parts of Drowned Earth. Um, I guess we can talk about Aquaman first. Um, Let's see. So this is issue 42. It's the last issue um, with Dan, Dan Abnett uh, writing, Lan Medina illustrating. Um, this is kind of like the quintessential non-tie-in. <laughs> it's actually, yeah. I mean, it's okay. <clears throat> it's not a terrible issue, right? Would you agree? No, it's not. Yeah, it's not a terrible issue. No. Um, but it it's is... just... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say it's it's one of those tie-in issues that like happens within the the span of a panel in the main series. Yes. Yep. It is so obviously uh there's a there's a panel where uh Arthur gets stabbed, which I believe we've already seen. Mhm. Mm is that yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was at the end of Justice League number 11, I want to say. Yep. And then everything after that is literally like, oh man, we needed another issue here for the tie-in. Um, what do we do? Ah, let's do a flashback to when Arthur's a kid and pretend like his dad is like guiding him through fighting all of his villains. And he wakes up and the issue's over. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. you can literally mark out exactly where you could take out everything and not lose anything from the... Um, 
from the drowned earth story. Not, I'm not suggesting that that stuff is not without merit or is just disposable, but like in the context of drowned earth, you can find the exact points where, oh, this isn't this is this is filler. This is not necessary at all. Right, right. Well, and it's also interesting. Not only does it have to act as a tie into drowned earth, but it is the the finale of Abnett's run, which is kind of crazy. Um, That's probably the the worst thing about it. Yeah. Because I, his run was so, it went on for so long, and I think mostly was so good that I felt like it deserved a, a send-off that wasn't tied into an event. Mm-hmm. It, it really does kind of, I mean, you could almost maybe say that it, it feels like his run ended when the whole King Wrath storyline resolved because it's almost even hard to con to, to consider the suicide squad crossover as part, <laughs> you know, like it, you had that and then you have the suicide squad crossover and then, and then you have this, although I guess if you consider, I mean, he clearly did have a hand in drowned earth, I would say. Oh yeah. So you could you could call Drowned Earth kind of the end of his story as well, and when you look at it like that, it it does work really well. Even though um, I don't think he has a writing credit on the the last Drowned Earth special, um, the one that comes out next well, week. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it, which is funny think, because that yeah. issue sets up aquaman's future yeah 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 it does so um i I don't know it's it's really interesting um as as a as an ending issue how do you feel like this this issue um does service to abnett's run as a whole i see on that on that that's the only level that i don't really like this issue because i think it's a fine issue but if but in ending Abnett's run, there's nothing... He tries to cram a little bit of wrath in here. But I don't think the flashback sort of timey-wimey, we gotta we gotta do some thematic stuff about Arthur and his role as Aquaman stuff. I, I don't mm-hmm. think... I don't think that all entirely works. It doesn't feel like it's a part of his... of the run that came before. I'll say yeah. Yeah, I I would agree, and it it doesn't even really to me work as like a a, a really it, it's kind of supposed to be this summation of why Aquaman is great and why he's like such a good hero and everything, and and I don't feel like it even does that very well either. Yeah, not not especially, and I also feel like that is what we're told that Kelly Sue's run is going to kind of uh, we don't know anything yet, but. I, weren't we told that it kind of is the def the definition of Aquaman? Like her run is going to define the character in the way that, like a Batman Year One would. I think so. Yeah, it's it's kind of supposed to be that. Um, so yeah, I. I want to get into some, there's like one, this is like the most pedantic comic fan thing for me coming out here. Um, but <laughs> I love it. Uh, so like this whole time, and we can talk about this a little bit more, maybe in the next, in the justice league issue, but 
this whole thing about Arthur's powers being tied to life. And then, you know, earlier in the first arc of Justice League, we had the big white lantern symbol. And so this whole time I've been waiting for this like shoe to drop where it's like, oh, Aquaman is like a white lantern or something <laughs> weird like that. Um, but then we get this bit on the second to last page where his his eyes flash blue <laughs> and he's like, it's called hope. And of course, for me, like everything has to tie back to the, like the Green Lantern emotional spectrum all the time. Um I just thought that that was weird and funny. I, I've I've been waiting for this like White Lantern thing, and then I was like, "What? Hope?" Oh man, that's a great pull. It would have been totally out of place, but not not unwelcome. <laughs> because instead, I oh man, you're you're so good, Zach. Because instead, what instead what I thought at that moment was like, "Wow, that's a really lame," <laughs> you know, that's like, <laughs> "Wow, he he found hope." Like, literally, the concept of hope was uh, the thing that rescued... Like, that's a very generic, heroic... You know, that's like that's like saying, like, rebirth is all about hope, right? And if the entire thing at the very end was, like, Dr. Manhattan realizes that he just must have hope in humanity, that would be, like... <laughs> The same thing, right? Just an incredibly, yeah. incredibly surface level cheesy way to end. That that, that is how that's going to end, though. Yeah, yep, it's true. Yeah. Uh, oh man, I I big tangent, but over the weekend we we were visiting with family, you know, for the holidays, and I had the opportunity to talk to um, my more casual comic reading brother in law. Oh, um, about just talking about some comics he's been getting into a lot of like more recent stuff and he's a big watchman fan and i told him about doomsday clock (laughs) and i like explained it to him what it was and he was just bamboozled it was the best feeling he wasn't like uh oh that sounds great and then you Um, then you had to tug on your collar like ooh. No, he was very confused as I explained to him wow. what it was. And then he was about to queue up and buy the first issue. And I was like, don't, don't do that. Just wait, hmm. wait till it's collected. Don't do that to yourself. Um, it was just really funny, but yeah, that's definitely how Doomsday Clock is going to end. 100%. Yeah, you're right. And then Superman's going to give him his underwear. Yeah. Oh, that would be, that would be the best ending though. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Any anything else to say about um, Aquaman? Um. No, I don't think so. I think we could just. I I know we didn't have much to say about Justice League, but um, was there anything yeah. you wanted to highlight there? Um. I. The art was interesting, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed what the juxtaposition of Irving, Fraser Irving. So I guess we should, yeah. So this is um, issue 12 written by James Tanyan, illustrated by Fraser Irving. And then um, who is the other artist? Bruno, Bruno Redondo. Okay. I'm not very familiar with him. Have we seen him before? Uh, s- somewhere, but not necessarily at DC. I know I know that name. Okay. Um, I really liked it because it, at first you kind of had um, you had Irving illustrating the stuff happening in the graveyard of the gods with uh, Neptune and all that, and then you had 
uh, Redondo doing kind of like the normal superheroic stuff. But then, like, in the latter half of the issue, Irving just takes over everything. And it kind of loses that visual continuity. And even, like, any kind of continuity. I, I think eventually I got to one page. It's the one where, like, Mara is swinging the sword and, like, Flash's distorted face is just, like, floating in the page. And it was just, like... I can understand what's happening here, but I can see how this would be very off-putting to someone who is not well, as glad... used to sequential storytelling. I'm glad you could. <laughs> uh, Bruno Redondo was on a bunch of uh, Injustice, I guess, which is why I probably okay. I probably recognize the name, but that, that checks didn't, out. Didn't know from what because I don't read that. Uh huh. Uh. uh... Yes. So anyway, back to the art. Um, yeah, I I could not tell what was going on sometimes. Um, yeah, it is it is difficult. Um, it's I really like Irving, but I I'm never necessarily a huge fan of his superhero work. I think I um, maybe like his historically poo-pooed a little on even like his batman and robin stuff mm, see see i remember having fond feelings of the morrison fraser irving batman stuff and i wonder i after this issue i'm wondering whether that's misplaced because my my hot take from the week that i texted you and brian about is that i thought that this was like some of the worst art I've seen in a while. Wow. See, I think it's great art. It's just not like very great storytelling, maybe like visual storytelling. I'm, it's, it's not that. Yeah, it's definitely not that. I will agree with you there. But even the individual renderings of these characters, like I, I know Fraser Irving has a style and I've seen it done like what uh, Clarion the Witch Boy too, right? Wasn't that? That was Irving, yeah. yeah, and that was really good. That's great. I have incredibly fond feelings of that too, and I'm looking at this, and like, you can like you can barely tell, um, you can barely see the characters' faces sometimes. They're so like smudged out, faded mm -hmm. out. There are times where there's no definition between parts of the character's body connecting to other parts and then other times where there's just these big like black uh uh like outlines that mm -hmm. separate everything there's like black outlines and then it it appears like everything is filled in by like a digital uh effect or something and like yeah. that like that black outline was just being used as like this is where the this is where the paint fill is going to stop you know i i'm not not a fan of the style, but I think in this ex the execution in this issue was like insanely poor to me. I and I don't know. I feel bad saying that, but like some of this stuff you can you can barely see, like the backgrounds. There's there's detail that's supposed to be in the background, and you can't even really tell what it is. Um, I think Superman looks goofy as hell in basically every. Yeah. Every time we see him. He definitely does, yeah. Yeah, I just don't... There's that one panel of... I. There's one panel of uh, Superman where he's looking off to the... He's looking off to his right. Uh-huh, and, and Mare's in the middle. Is that... 
uh, let me see. Page. Yes. Uh, no, and, and Flash is in the middle, and Mira's on the right side of the page. Oh, uh, okay. I'm looking at a different one then. It's the one where Superman's oh. saying, there's more coming, Flash, another wave of creatures. Oh, okay. Okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that would be Superman's right, but it looks... It's my left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's Superman looking yeah, off to his okay. right. That is the uh, Rami Malek, uh freaking Freddie Mercury. Like, that's the promo picture from the nice. new Freddie Mercury move. That's the exact pose he's doing. I feel like that's traced or something. Like, I recognized it immediately. <laughs> Well, maybe it, I, I, maybe it was, and like I wonder about this issue. Like I said, like it starts off being clearly delineated, like Irving doing the, the, the God stuff, and then he moves over to like the Flash and Superman stuff and Mara. Uh-huh. Um, whereas, like I think before. Well, you know, actually, I guess we don't. That's the first time we. No, he. They. We do see them at the very beginning of the issue, and Redon, Redondo is drawing them. Um. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's an interesting issue. I actually think, in general, the whole issue, just like looking at it, it all looks really good. Like I think both artists visually it just looks really good, but then when you start to read it, it's it, it's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there there are times where it does look good, but there are other... I don't know. Like, okay. One more example, and then we'll get off of it. But look at, like, the second-to-last page where there's the floating heads of the, of the old sea gods. Uh-huh. Look at how, like, well-defined their features are and how the their eyes and noses and mouths stand out. And then look at, like, past pages where, like, you barely see any detail on anyone's faces. It's like, there's one there's one of uh, one of the old gods, or no, no, that's Aquaman. Sorry, I'm just quickly glancing. That's Aquaman. He's, like, screaming, we're not dead yet, Poseidon. Barely any uh-huh. detail on his face. It's like it's all smudged together. Yeah. I don't understand the, di- like, what made the difference there. What's, I don't get what what Irving's going for, or, like, on the next page, uh, Wonder Woman's pointing kind of at the reader. Again, uh-huh. like everything is everything is sort of shades of the same red color, and that includes the face, which has like no definition to it. And then you look at this second to last page, and I think those are beautiful renderings of the characters, but that's not how the issue looks half the time. And I don't really get I don't understand the effect that he's going for by I think it's the coloring that that does it for me, and I don't know, you know. Sometimes Irving is coloring, and sometimes Sonny Go is coloring, but I assume Go is coloring Redondo, and Irving is coloring himself. But Irving's coloring then is not consistent itself, you know. Yeah, <clears throat> that is. Yeah, usually Irving is a lot more monochromatic in his color schemes. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, it's like all over the place. All over, yeah. Which I kind of like. I kind of like that here. I think that like visually, that's like one of the things that I really enjoyed is how colorful it was. Um, It felt like very much in... This issue like artistically falls really well in like with what Manipul has been doing. 
Um, yeah, I guess. I guess I in just, terms of like color scheme, I feel like. Yeah, I like how clean and well defined Maniple's. Uh, yeah. Actual line work is, but, but yeah, I can see what you're saying, and, and I, you know, Irving is a very competent artist. I just this issue, the way that it was colored, sometimes was not to my tastes, and. I, I'm clearly in the minority if I read the like the reviews of this issue, mm-hmm. and like I've seen people talk about how the the artistic difference between the two is jarring, but that the individual works themselves are really good. And I guess I just I guess I'm gonna have to agree to disagree that because I it none of it really works for me aside from those one or two examples I pointed out. So we we can agree to disagree. That's that's fine. That's fine. Okay. All right. Um, you good to move on? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, next we're going to talk about cover number three, uh, written by Bendis, illustrated by David Mack. Um, I, I don't have a ton to say about this issue other than I really like this book. <laughs> <laughs> um. I, I really, like, don't even know why I like it yet. I just think it's fun. I, I think, like, some of the stuff I like the most is trying to guess at who Bendis and Mac are making fun of <laughs> in the comic industry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and clearly, sometimes it is Mac himself. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's funny that you say um, that. Um, One, I guess. Do you do you have anything to say about the issue in general? Like, really, I, I have one thing that I kind of want to discuss with you and see what you thought. Sure. No, I just wanted to say that I thought, like, you know, we've talked about this book a little along the way, and I feel like this is the the prettiest issue yet. There's a lot of different artistic um, styles and techniques used, and they they blend into one another. I'm thinking of the. Uh, Oh, and I'm not going to be able to pronounce this, but the the Angoulême festival, mm-hmm. yeah, that page okay. begins as a watercolor and then it moves into a more traditional but m- kind of minimalist pen, uh, you know, penciling and inking in, in color, and and mm-hmm. it all ha- it all happens over the course of one page, and that's really beautiful, and and sort of every page has something different going for it, and then there's even a bit of uh, Sinkevich. Yeah, sort yeah, I, the... that's really what I wanted to talk about with you is like all of the different styles that Mac is channeling here. Like he at least has like four distinct things that he's doing in the issue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, really even more, I guess. So like, I guess going through, we've got this um, this kind of like Japanese... Um, or, or like Chinese style um, kind of like ink and brush thing that I still don't really understand yet. I don't know if we're supposed to. Yeah, I think it's just an allegory about... Maybe, yeah. Um, but there's that. And then we have this space comic that the main character is currently working on um, that is like very much Mac doing his like watercolor thing. 
And then we have the style, kind of the the one that you were referring to that's more kind of just the typical um, like pen and ink type thing, I guess. Like, I guess the most like normal style. Yeah. Um, and then you have more of the watercolor stuff sprinkled in here with him and the um, the intelligence agent. And then you have the Sinkovich stuff, like the like. Um, I guess is that what you meant with the um the like kind of sword and sorcery type? Yeah, comic? well, that's li- that's literally Bill Sinkovich art. Oh, it is. Yeah. Yep. Oh, that's him illustrating here. Yeah. Oh, I just totally missed that then. Yeah. Was he listed in the credits? He is in the credits, my friend. Man, I just blazed through that. I was looking <laughs> in the credits. Okay. I thought that was... Oh, you're right. There you go. Assad sends art by Bill. Oh, well, that's actually really, really cool. Yeah. It is kind of tucked away down there underneath the star billing. Yeah, I'm surprised um, it's not on the cover. That's that's interesting. Yeah, that but... is interesting. Um, oh, okay. Well, then that's... Okay, can't chalk that up to Mac then, but... But that's actually even more interesting to me that they're using other characters or other artists to depict the art of characters in the book. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool idea. It, it plays into the whole, uh, you know, these are clear, these are clearly meant to be inside jokes or in some ways or references to guys that Mac and Bendis know and work with. Yeah. Yeah. So I think the thing that I like most about this book is just trying to like read into the weird meta takes on the comic industry. Yeah in general um but that's about all i've got yeah i think this is i think this is my definitely my favorite of the like non dcu bendis books yeah yep hands down okay i agree all right uh next up we've got justice league dark number five illustrated um by or written by tanyan illustrated by daniel sampier um who I have traditionally not been the biggest fan of, but I like his work here more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, you kind of wanted to talk about this issue. Um, was there, is there anything in particular you wanted to bring out with it? Well, this is making, so the issue is really interesting because it kind of begins with this uh, stylistic flourish of detective chimp at the Nightmaster funeral. And every every once in a while, the panel says the chimpanzee drinks to sort of highlight how how Bobo is handling the death of uh, of Nightmaster. I can't remember his. I had to write these things down next time. <laughs> can't remember his actual name. Jim Rook. Jim Rook. Uh huh. Yeah. How he's handling the death, and I think it's a really it's a really beautiful sequence, and it it it's, keeps getting punctuated by the chimpanzee drinks. And then at the very end, it's funny. It's like a joke that they use it as a joke because then the chimpanzee drinks for a different reason, kind of like uh-huh. a comedy beat. Um, and and that's that's a really interesting sort of device that that Tynion uses. But then the the you know three quarters of the issue is just kind of your traditional Justice League dark story that you've come to expect here. But the the other thing I wanted to talk about about the issue was they're finally really making good on Brian's uh, shadow pack uh, prediction that he keeps making. You know, I feel like Brian's mentioned shadow pack 
several times over the last couple of years since we've been doing the rebirth thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you've got Blue Devil in this one. Yes, particularly it's it's very much the Blue Devil from um, the DCU presents in the New Fifty Two. Oh yeah, it's like that version of him. Yep. Um, also, the recent Ragdoll is in there. Did you notice that? I I didn't. I wrote I wrote. Wait, Ragdoll. Ragman, sorry. Ragman, yeah. My okay. bad, my I was, bad. Ragman. I was gonna say I wrote down Ragman. Where did you see Ragdoll? Yeah, Cause, sorry. Because that's okay. Because Ragman was in uh, Shadow Pact as well, right? Right, right. But this is the the one from the miniseries. Right, but they're um, they're gonna they're gonna like they're totally gonna reunite a form of Shadow Pact that includes Ragman and. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Well, like on that front row in the funeral, you've got Ragman. Um, I guess is that supposed to be Enchantress? Wasn't yep. she in Shadow Pack? She was in Shadow Pack. Yep. And then is that to the left of Ragman? Is that Nightshade? Is that yep. that character's name? Okay. Yep. And they were they were all Shadow Pack as well. That's in fact right? inclu- including Jim Rook. Then that's your original Shadow Pack, I believe. Okay. Those six. Yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, very. Um, yeah, I thought all of that was interesting. I think I really did like all of that stuff, but I think the thing that I enjoyed the most in this issue were was the Constantine Swamp Thing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I I especially like really like what Tynion's doing with Constantine. I feel like it's the most interesting thing anyone has done with Constantine since he like came back mm-hmm. i think it's oh, maybe the only interesting thing <laughs> <laughs> yep he's mostly been bullocks oh yeah 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 all right ready to move on yeah yeah we can keep going uh you wanted you specifically wanted to talk about Teen Titans number twenty four. Yeah, which you didn't you didn't read, right? I did. I didn't read this. No, not to put you on blast, but just for that's okay for context. Okay, so do you remember how the previous issue of Teen Titans ended? No, I do not. Remind me. It was like a classic, uh, you know, cl- end of issue cliffhanger thing where like the building that they're all in blows up. Mm-hmm. You maybe vaguely remember that, but anyway, um, the first two-thirds of this issue i want to say is the team is like being crushed under this building and crush you know um uh lobo's daughter Mm -hmm. is like is holding the building up so that it doesn't fall on them or like the, the the crumbling building above them and wallace has like a net like a rusty bar sticking out of his leg and uh Jin is like completely covered in rubble and they can't find her for the first half of the issue. And it's very much like a, mostly a bottle issue where they're kind of all arguing and trying to figure out how they're going to get out of this scrape. And Jin, like they expect Jin to, to teleport them all out because she's got this powerful magic, you know, but she can't, she's got some dark secret that she can't, it's a reason she doesn't want to explain why, but it's very dangerous. She can't do it. And anyway, they, they kind of come together as a team in the way that you would expect, but it's very nicely done. Like, it's 
surprising this is probably the best adam glass issue i've read of anything <laughs> to to his credit he comes up with a really nicely written way for the team to all come together and kind of get out of this situation and then afterwards they're hanging out in titan's tower or whatever version of it they're in right now i i don't did their tower get destroyed and now they're somewhere else or is it the I don't I don't remember. But I don't remember either now. They're hanging out as a team and like for the first time in the series so far they're kind of bantering and talking to one another as a real team and Robin's walking around and kind of like smiling and nodding at everybody like yes this is what I imagined when I put this team together, you know. It's a really warm issue an issue that I can't believe I liked after considering the way that this arc started. And it's, it's actually, it was actually really nice to see like this, this team coming together and getting along in a very like Pollyanna ish way. I know I sound like a, like a Pollyanna talking like that, but, um, and then there's a really great moment at the end where Emiko, uh, Red Arrow, confronts Jin about this secret power she has and didn't want to talk about and talks about how it jeopardized the team or whatever. And then Jin does this like really serious threatening sort of transformation in front of her and, and kind of, you know, lets her know how it is and why, why it's so dangerous or whatever. And it's a really great, just the flow of the issue was really great, really great way to kind of wrap up this arc, I guess, if you want to call it an arc. And I think like, if you skipped it, Zach, it's not like a 10 out of 10 issue or anything, but it's like a solid 7. And I'd recommend, like, at least going back and checking this one out. Okay. Because, because I, maybe this isn't going to be that bad of a series, you know? Well, I'll, I'll admit, I have... I didn't quite... I haven't quite murked this series, but I have definitely <laughs> been taking a little nap on it. Yeah. Um, just for, you know, uh, for reasons. Um... But okay, uh, are you saying this is gonna be the this is my new uh, new Superman eat crow moment? Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> let's not let's not go that far. Um, the the Chang art is very good. I'm I'm glad that he he is out of the uh, the desert island that was Batman Beyond and, and is on this book. Um, Okay, cool. All right, I'll, I'll, you, you've, you've convinced me. You did, you did your thing that you always do. I'll, I'll go back and give it a shot. <laughs> it's not new Superman, though. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Okay, okay. Um, well, for those keeping count um, at home, we're not doing our typical five thing, five books thing, because when, when Dad's not here, the kids go crazy. Um, <laughs> we got the sugar. We did get into the sugar. sugar. Um, we are going to do our good, okay, bad list. Um, actually, do you want to go ahead and do that before we talk about the real bad book of the week? <laughs> do, do we need to put a break in here somewhere for commercials and that, and that kind of junk? Um, I don't know. Brian, if we, if you need a break, put one right here. Put one right here, Brian. This is where the commercial goes. Right here. After, right here. After I say here, here. I thought I really thought Zach was gonna say here there also. Here.
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martin Bro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. All right, we're back from that break. <laughs> uh, we do have one more book that we're going to talk slash goof on, um, but we're going to go ahead and do our good, okay, bad rankings for for this week of comics. Um, making it on the good list, we've got Lucifer number two. On the okay list, we've got Harley Quinn, uh, number 54, and Pearl, number four. Yes. And then on the bad list this week, we've got Damage, number 11, Nightwing, number 53, and Sideways, number 10, um, which I guess here is a good point to mention the news. We forgot to talk about uh, several New Age of Heroes books, Got the Axe with the most recent solicits. I think Vince, you said it was brimstone and sideways brimstone and sideways gone after February. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then we've got, so all that's left terrifics silencer damage and damage cannot be long for this world. You, you would think not, but (laughs) Azrael got seventy-five issues or hundred issues. A hundred, a hundred issues, issues. and a one million. As, and a as, one million. As You're we're right. Told by our listeners, um, the the only thing I wanted to talk about with that news is, I'm not proud of this. We're not bragging when we say this, but I do think it is funny how, pretty much from the moment these books were announced, the question Brian would ask us was so how long are these gonna last (laughs) it's funny to me that dc would put these books out and the people who follow this kind of thing the people who like follow the way that books are um distributed and ordered and canceled etc just kind of knew right off the bat like yeah this isn't gonna last Mm -hmm. this is not gonna make it you know it's like every step of the way like yeah these artists won't be on after three books and they're probably all going to be canceled by 12 issues. And none of that was wrong. <laughs> and it's kind of, again, not bragging that like, ah, we're right. We know, we know how these things go. It's just more like, it's kind of sad to me that, that this is the way things are. You know, you just kind of know whether a book's going to make it or not. There's very few surprises these days, you know? Very few. Yeah. I think to bring up new Superman again, I remember the first time that we thought it was getting canceled, and and I think uh, Gene Yang le- later confirmed that it was almost going to be, and then they gave it like another six or eight issues or something. I mean, how often does that happen? It just doesn't happen anymore these days. Um, so, pour one out for some books we mostly really never liked. Yeah, I I did. I had high hopes for Sideways. 
um, when they said Morrison was going to be involved, and then that ended up just being a a dubious credit on one annual issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> dubious credit. Yeah. Well um, said. Yeah. So those are the other books for the week. Um, if you are also keeping count at home, that means there's only one more book that we could talk about. Um, and and it was not Injustice number two annual. It was it was Batman number fifty nine. Love that uh, Batman. Love that Batman. He's always getting into all kinds of goofs. <laughs> this um, was such a goofy issue. Oh was my it? God. This issue is full of goofs. So, um, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janine. Um, Bane just pulls a big goof on Batman <laughs> in this issue. That's all it is. <laughs> Bane. Uh, well, I'm, no, I'm not going to make that joke. Never mind. Um, that would be bad. Uh, yeah, Bane pulls a big goof on Batman, and it's it's really funny. It's like a joke on all of us how long Tom King spends on that on that on that goof. Uh huh. Um. And how like between that and like Batman not knowing whether whether Bane has really been locked up the entire time, like it just it just really feels like. Again, Tom King is writing Batman as this incompetent psycho. Like, I feel like everything we know from about Batman, he, he'd have gotten to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. This is a very silly deception that Bane is pulling. Yeah. Um, and Batman is just, like, a psycho in this issue. He's punching everybody. He's kicking everybody. He punches Gordon for crying out loud. <laughs> Dude, what was your reaction when you saw him punch Jim Gordon in the face? <laughs> I, I don't know. I honestly like don't know if I could tell you. Because um... I was just like, yep, this is the low point. Like, we... Not only is it... I mean, it's intended to be a low point for Bruce's character. Mm-hmm. But it really reads more as a low point for the ridiculousness of Tom King's run to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, Jim Gordon's response is, I'm sick of you. Get the hell out of my sight. And I'm, Jim, I'm sick of Batman too now. <laughs> I'm with you. What what else was goofy about this? Just the, the pacing was just this weird, like, man. Yeah, I just, 10 years from now, we'll all look back and say, hey, do you remember that issue where Bane gaslighted Batman? <laughs> And Batman like cracked his head open, <laughs> and said, "And said, said, tell me who you are. Say I am Bane, so I can say I'm Batman." <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, just this again. It's just this Batman is just all id, you know, uh-huh. in ways we have not seen before. This is worse than the way that Frank Miller writes him. This is worse than the yeah. goddamn Batman. He's just, oh man. I'm reading a a Detective Comics update right now. I'm kind of in the late, Uh I'm in the late 500s right now. And it's, uh, it's Mike Barr is writing. 
and um, uh-huh. Alan Davis has been drawing these issues that I'm reading right now. And okay. Batman's like, bat, at this point, it's post-crisis. So Batman is, it's post-crisis, it's post-Miller, or it's like right around the Miller stuff. And Batman is definitely like a grim, serious figure some of the time, more so than he was pre-crisis. But he's also like smiling and swinging around with Jason and they're like, they're going to the racetrack and getting dressed up to, to go on a stakeout and, and Batman's like grinning at him and joking with him. And I would just kill to have a bat, like the Bendis Batman right now. Who's a, mm-hmm. who's who's still like a grim dark knight, but tells a joke once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It's it's this book. It's just it's up and down for eternity. <laughs> it's mostly down, but you know they tr- he tricks us every once he in a while. He does trick us every once in a while, and, and and once again, once again, the art follows suit to what we whether whether it's Janin's fault or not i'm not i'm not sure it is it just seems to be the way that it breaks down you know mm-hmm. very very strange it is very strange but another another batman in the can we've got uh what another 40 issues or so although i don't know i did you see the crossover coming up in in february oh that was kind of interesting yeah joshua williamson doing the doing the heroes in crisis crossover which means that we get technically then we need a hundred and two issues from well he are i mean williamson already did one issue of batman in in the book and oh my god 103 we we got to keep the uh the tom king 100 issue run tracker going so right now we're we're at 103 is what you're saying Uh, something like that yeah we got to keep them accountable yeah Um, definitely but but yeah, I thought I thought that was interesting. Um, the art teams on those books were t- pretty good too, I think. But uh, yeah, that'll that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. But yeah, um, I guess that wraps it up for this week's books. Uh, do you want to go through what we've got coming next week? Ooh ooh, I'm not ready for that. Hold on. I, I've got it here. Oh, you got it. Okay. Yeah, you can go ahead and pull it up, and you can join in along with me if you want. I do, um, I do love joining in. I'm a goof. Okay, all right. Well, uh, let's see. You want to just do it one at a time? I'll do one, you do one? Let's do it. Okay, all right. So we've got Action Comics 1005. Uh-huh. we got the Aquaman Justice League Drowned Earth uh, crossover ending. Yeah. <laughs> The issue that makes a lot of sense when you say it. Yeah. Uh, we got we got Batman. Uh, no, sorry, Batgirl twenty nine. Bat- Batman Beyond twenty six. Uh, Batman Kings of Fear number four, which we're not. Yeah, you guys might read it. Uh, spoilers. I won't be here for the next episode. So anything these goofballs do. Are you planning on dying sometime well, I mean, soon? Yeah, uh, it's a secret. But yes. <laughs> uh, Books of Magic number two. Uh, DC Nuclear Winter Special number one. Ooh, uh, little spoiler alert here. I put that on my comics should be cheap thing uh-huh. because it's pretty good. Uh, some of it is. <laughs> uh, we got Detective Comics 993. Uh-huh, yeah, and yeah. then we've got uh, Flash number 59. Mm-hmm. We got Heroes in Crisis number three, that event we love very much. Love to talk about. Uh, we got Hexwise number two. 
We got Justice League Odyssey number three. Old Lady Harley number two. We got uh, <laughs> Raven, Daughter of Darkness number ten. I it's still going. Only only two more issues after that one for me to remember that that book exists. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, we got Scarlet number four. We got man, this week is long. Uh huh. We got Silencer number eleven. Terrifics number ten. Titans number thirty. And Wonder Woman number fifty-nine. Um, I'm excited about that Wonder Woman. Yeah, I I'm really upset that I will not be here. I might have to record a little blurb for <laughs> um for the nuclear winter special because there are some things in that that I want to talk about. Oh man, Superman one million. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, Batman six six six. Ah yes, yes indeed. Uh, some good stuff in there. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for listening to this abomination of an episode. We saw, we're sorry. It'll be better next week. Um, it won't be. It it will be. It we'll will be missing the assassin, the MVP. Oh no. Um, but if you do miss me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Wilker Fox. Um, Vince is still. Don't try to find me. Only on LinkedIn. Yep. Um, I'm I'm on uh, I'm on the Pokemon Go app. That's my only <laughs> social media. Yes, friend him, help him get get those Alolan eggs and and Stardust and all all those goodies that he really needs. Yep. Um, and you can find Brian at Brian needs an app. And that's all we got. Come back next week. Yep. Good luck with that stinger, Brian. Hello, podcast listener. I'm Kevin. I'm Jess. And I'm Nick. And we are Make Mine Multiversity, a monthly podcast discussing all things Marvel Comics. Each month, we will be discussing Marvel news and looking at some of their major recent comic book or movie releases. We also look at older storylines, character histories, and Marvel's place in the overall comics market. We have a variety of perspectives. The recent Marvel fan. The jaded longtime reader. And the reader who's finally digging into Marvel's back catalog after a decade of avoidance. If you want to know what books made me cry this month, what books made me almost cry this month, and what books I wish would make me feel something, check out Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast, the fourth Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcast, or your podcatcher of choice. And Make Mine Marvel Multiversity. Multiversity. One of the things that has been really fascinating as sort of watching your comics career develop has been, I find at least in your work, there's all these layers of history. And we saw it in Drowned Earth already in the sort of the um, the prelude issue, and then we saw it in Witching Hour, and we see it really strongly in this issue of Justice League, how you just, you're really adept at creating these vast mythologies for characters that in some cases the reader just met that issue or a couple of issues before so when you are writing a story how much of it for you is about what you're seeing on the page now versus everything that has led up to what you're seeing on the page right now that's a great question um i mean i like i think one of the big things is i do love like the fictional history of the DC universe. I love playing with the mythology and particularly like 
you know, like in this issue, we're playing with the mythology of Orion, uh, who is, or Arian. I'm, I'm never sure how to say it out loud, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's like, who is uh, a classic DC character, like, you know, within one of the first few pages of Crisis on Infinite Earths, was one of the, the sword and sorcery characters of the DC 1970s. And, uh, and it's, there, I, I've always found that there's a lot of power, uh, going back into the classic corners of, of DC's own mythology, and then bringing that, that, that mythology to the forefront. So I, I mean, in this issue in drowned earth, I remember when we started talking about, uh, like all of the pieces of mythology that we wanted to play with. And we knew we wanted Arian. We knew we wanted Poseidon and the Greek gods. And we wanted to create the graveyard of gods and all of this, all of these big mythology pieces, uh, you know, fun toys to play with. And, uh, and, you know, and it was one of those things where it's funny because it's like Scott, Scott knew right off the bat where it's just like, well, if James is writing issue 12, then that's the issue where we're going to like explain the, the history of everything because he knows I'm like, I eat that stuff up. <laughs> like, so uh, I was very happy to be able to uh, sort of layer, uh, layer in those, 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 uh, those story pieces uh, because it is something that I think that, you know, setting the ground, setting that groundwork in mythology, setting the deep past and how it informs the present in a fictional universe, especially as complicated a fictional universe as the DC universe, really grounds the story in the present. And it, there are always ways to draw forward the themes and the, uh, you know, and themes and moments that directly suit the story of today, while also being true to what the character always was in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, this issue is, is pretty heavy on Black Manta, and this issue comes out the same week that the uh, Aquaman 42 comes out, and that is very focused on Aquaman. And obviously those are classic adversaries, but both issues touch on their relationships with their fathers and sort of the world that their fathers brought them into. So when you are writing Black Manta, um, are you sort of aware not aware, obviously you're aware. Are, are you trying to play on the parallels between his origin and Arthur's, or is that just more of a happy coincidence that allows you to make the story a little bit richer? Uh, I mean, it's it's definitely on purpose. It's definitely, uh, like, we wanted to, uh, like, one piece that, we, that, that we've used sort of as a drumbeat over the last few issues, like, you know, the first issue of the prelude issue of Drowned Earth in Justice League had had a, a beat with Arthur and his father on the fishing boat uh, when when uh, Arthur was just a little boy. And uh, the second uh, uh, and then in the next Justice League issue, Justice League 11, it started with Mara and King Nereus, like seeing Atlantis from a distance. And here we see you know, young Black Manta, who, you know, I think still to this day, I'm pretty sure in continuity, we only know the name David. We still don't know what his last name is or anything. Um, but he is like his past and the different. And once again, it's like it taps into that same thing. It's how does the how does the history, how do the, uh, you know, what, how does your lineage and how do all of those things build you into who you are? 
Um, and how do these, you know, human stories become mythology? Like that, that's sort of part of what we wanted to, to play with here, because obviously we're playing with some very larger than life pieces in this storyline. You know, we've got sea gods and death krakens and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but, uh, at the end of the day, it is about, uh, like ultimately, you know, it is very much about Arthur, Mara and Manta and the, like, and their roles in the greater mythology of Atlantis and how it's been in the past and how it's going to be moving forward. Um, so that, that, that was very deliberate. And in this issue, we also get to see how that interplays with the story of Orion and all of that. You get the kind of apex myth, um, but then you do get to see, like, the myth. Even in this issue, we see that there is a kind of myth to the water itself. Uh, you know, it's the fact that, you know, it's in, like, in Black Manta's eyes, he, you know, it's the idea of everything that's down there, everything, all, there, there being so much that the ocean has taken, and the fact that you can't, like, that they, that he's being kept from taking it back, that, you know, and then you can sort of extrapolate from there, that there, you know, all the people, like, Arthur has this incredible had this, well, it had this incredible power to like connect to all of the fish and all that. That was a power in and of itself that uh, the ocean bestowed onto him and Manta needed to take for himself. Um, I don't know. We're, we're playing with a lot of the, those big, big symbols and images uh, in the mythology. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm a guy, I mean, that's a catnip for me. I love DC mythology. You know, <laughs> right now I have out a, to a uh, binder to bind the entire run of who's who into a nice hardcover for my desk. So, you know, I am, I am the target oh, wow. audience for this stuff, but I sometimes wonder, you know, if there's a kid out there who's picking up his first Justice League comic and it's this comic that is buried in mythology, you know, that can be tough. No, I don't think you guys are doing that. I think you guys are, are giving a clear pathway for a new reader. But I want to know from a writing perspective, how do you make sure that there is that pathway for a new reader and that we're not just being, you know, I mean, I've been reading comics for over 30 years. You know, I, I, how, how do you make sure that, that, that the guy like me and the guy like, you know, or the person like my six-year-old daughter that started to read comics, you know, how do you make a story like this accessible for both of those audiences? I mean, that's the question. That's the, like the question right there. That is the, that's always the challenge. And, uh, I think it's one of those things where it's like working so closely with Scott Snyder really helps because I think Scott's impulses drive more towards making everything very, uh, you know, he, Scott always challenges me when I get into too much of a, like, I'm going to reference in this one panel a <laughs> Silver Age story that five people reading this book are going to to really appreciate. Um, and, you know, and it's one of those things where, like, I think having those deep, deep cut nods and all of that, they're, uh, they are, it's making sure that they're all enticing and welcoming. It's making sure that you are showing little little pieces of a bigger universe that make the reader want to go out and explore that bigger universe. Because I know that that's how I was when I was a kid. Uh, when I was first diving into DC, it was 
you know, when I was reading these big storylines, I remember one of them was like the Young Justice Sins of Youth crossover event. Um, and I didn't know who any of these characters were. Uh, when, when I was like, uh, when I was reading that, I think I just picked up the trade cause I liked Robin. Um, and it's like, I didn't know who Clarion the witch boy was. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And it, but it was one of those things where just feeling how to just piecing out like, okay, these are the relationships between the characters. These are like, these are references to bigger stories in the past and all of that. And you start writing a universe in your head. And, uh, you know, it's something that you can't go, you know, you can't go overboard with, but I do like referencing the larger universe, the larger history in a way that, and, and I always try to make it sound like, you know, an exciting story that makes the reader want to read more and learn more. Um, yeah, that, that, that's always my goal. Uh, you mentioned writing with, with Scott and, uh, you know, I love talking with Scott because Scott is just so enthusiastic about everything. So I can imagine that writing with him <laughs> is fun too because he's just going to burst in the room and be like, I've got it, Jaro. You know, he, he brings this great enthusiasm <laughs> to what he does. But, you know, I've also – I've been in bands my whole life, right? And so when you're writing with somebody else, you know, sometimes the other guy brings an idea in that you would never – have thought of and that makes the project so much cooler there are also those times when your idea doesn't doesn't fit into the grand scheme and that can be a bit frustrating so you know when you are part of this crossover when you're writing an issue here and an issue there how do you balance being the team player versus the damn it this idea is really good guy uh, I, I will say that that used to be, I, I used to have a bigger problem with that, but like Scott and I have now been working together for like, you know, like I think six or seven years now, like from when we, you know, and then like longer than that outside of, you know, published work. But, you know, in terms of like published work, like my first, my first books at DC were co-written with Scott. So it was something that early on, like in an issue of Talon, if I had something I was really precious about and Scott was like, oh, I think you, this is a better idea, I would get all huffy about it. But right now, like in Justice League, you know, it's all about what is serving the, the greater purpose of the book. And this is a series that is like that has that's building towards something huge. And that's something that I know, you know, Scott's been beating that drum in the interviews he's been doing lately. And I think people are really going to start seeing it uh, in December and January uh, as we move into the next phase of the Justice League titles. But uh, we, there is a big, big master plan in, in effect right now. And uh, so really when, you know, when I have a cool idea or, or Scott has a cool idea, it's all like, I mean, for one, it's, it's always about, like, what's the integrity of the issue, how to make the issue as, like, freaking awesome as it can be. And then second to that, it's just, like, does this, you know, does, is this building towards that big epic story that, uh, that we've been dying to tell now for, you know, years? And uh, that, that keeps us, I think, pretty grounded in a, in a good way. Um, you know, not in terms of story stuff. We're like, we're, we're going crazy cosmic balls to the wall with the, with the story, but 
uh, it keeps it keeps us focused and zeroed in on what this comic should be. Yeah. Uh, that that sounds like a lot of fun, actually. You know, it's a lot of fun to build towards something that's a surprise, and so there's got to be a lot of joy in planting all these seeds and knowing that one day, you know, this garden will bloom and it's going to blow everybody's mind. So it's got to be a fun process for you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so last question before I let you get back to your day. Um, you've been writing all of the Legion of Doom-centric issues for Justice League so far. And I think that it's really cool how there's been this sort of shift back and forth between the Justice League stuff and the Legion of Doom stuff. But I have to ask you, you know, when you are writing these characters, it's easy to paint them all as, you know, mustache-twirling villains. And it's also, I think, equally easy, especially, I think you and I are about the same age, so, it, you know, there, there there's been generations of stories now of... The villains aren't really villains. They're just misunderstood. Everybody's misunderstood. Everybody's trying to do, quote, the right thing, but some people go about it the wrong way, right? We, we all have read those stories, too. So when you are putting together these issues, how do you find that balance between making them sympathetic and therefore interesting to read, but also making them, you know, their name is the Legion of Doom, you know? So how, how do you balance putting those right. two things together? It, it's 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 a really interesting question because it is something where when you pull them all together in the same way that I think when you pull like the Justice League together, I think some of their doubts fall away. Like I think the the Justice League sort of levels up. They become, you know, this they become what people see in them. And I think the same is true with the Legion of Doom. I think seeing them in action together they do embody that, like, you know, like they are the forces of evil and they're sort of reveling in it. And, uh, but I think, you know, it's really, it's really interesting that you ask that because I think the issue that uh, is really going to cut into, uh, you know, some of of the answers to that question is the the, the next issue of the main Justice League book, uh, which is issue 13, which is a Joker centric, centric issue um which is going to sort of deal with the fallout of the last few months and him learning that the batman who laughs was you know involved in this and like it's it's really sort of it's launching joker uh forward in the larger meta story that we're telling um and towards the batman who laughs miniseries but it's like in terms of a one-shot issue it really does get a bit more into who these characters are and why, like, you know, and their disagreements among themselves. And I think that, you know, the, the other, the other figure connected to those kinds of the disagreements among the, the path on which to walk, like, uh, we're going to see, uh, you know, like in the big drowned earth finale, uh, the, we're going to see some some real tension between Black Manta and the Legion of Doom in a big, exciting way. And, like, I think we're starting to see that Luthor's plot, like, the one area where it fails is that all of these characters are human and they all have their own wants and needs and uh, aligning themselves with this, like, you know, cosmic ideal of Doom is a very difficult thing. Um, and it's very difficult to sustain, and some of them are better at sustaining it than others, but that is, that's sort of the heart of it, and, 
we're going to be seeing that echoing forward uh, for a good long time. This is going to be the most important episode that we've ever recorded.